Welcome and welcome back to Jenna's Digest Podcast. I'm your host, Jenna Barbu. Uh, uh, today, we're going to talk about something that was actually, um, I don't want to say inspired, but uh, we talked about it on Instagram stories, actually. And I had at one point 12 moms reach out to me to tell me their story or one of their kids' stories about eczema. Now, uh, it was just my son's birthday. He just turned five. So happy birthday to him. Um, He is the most gentle, kind, thoughtful, artsy, ambitious boy I have ever met. (laughs) I've ever met. Um, He is so much like his dad and I'm so thankful for it. Um, with all things, just like children, you know, we, I feel like every child has their own birth story. I feel like everybody, everybody has their own birth story. Something funny happens, something crazy happens, something, something happened, right? And it formed us to be the people we are today. Um, maybe even caused us to have the illnesses that we have today. Um, my story for sure that that would be mine. Um, if you guys don't know or you're new to my world, welcome. Um, the whole entire reason of why I got into what I do is actually because I have chronic illness symptoms and I've had them since I've been born. Um, and it literally starts from the point that I was just abandoned and kept a secret for my first two years. And then I was in a really terrible orphanage and then I got adopted and then we were just trying to figure things out, you know, and then from then on, um, things just became super difficult. I was also a uh, national ranking uh, gymnast and I did that for 11 years. Um, It was beautiful. I had a great childhood, but a lot of what happened in my birth and in my first three years of my life really, really does still affect me till this day. And ultimately, that's why I got into what I do. So, I studied neurological development and gut development for occupational therapy for pediatrics. That's what I studied. And I absolutely loved it, but I just, I kind of figured like this was not what I wanted to do. Um, I wasn't into, like I liked teaching kids. Um, I did that for the longest time. I was also after that a gymnastics teacher. But it was really my son that gave us a lot of like, this is what you're supposed to do. Like, this is it. So I want to tell you guys about our son's eczema. And I'm going to teach you a few things about eczema and why we never took out dairy. We never eliminated breast milk or um, or milk or anything of that nature. Um, we didn't bathe him excessively. Um, I think that's off the bat, just a guideline. Um, and maybe if you even want to write this down. So if you are a parent and you're listening to this, if you're a mom, a dad, if you're a um, a caretaker, if you're an aunt, you're a grandma, you're, it doesn't even matter, but you take care of children, whether infant, um, a toddler, child, uh, doesn't even matter. But if you are dealing right now with anybody in your life that is a younger age and they are having food sensitivities, they're having bloating, they are leaning maybe towards a really restrictive diet, this episode is for you. Because this is really ultimately the game changer to understand why we cannot, as adults living in the society, 
We cannot continue to give our children elimination diets when it's just not necessary. And I say that wholeheartedly because I do believe there's a time and a place for elimination diets. Um, I know right now I have a great friend of mine. Um, her child uh, is autistic and they've been doing elimination diets, but that's for a different reason because she has a really difficult time. It's almost impossible for her body to intake folic acid. So, and that all has to do with epigenetics and stuff like that too. But it's different. It's different when we're talking about like eczema and food sensitivities and things like that. It's very different, especially when um, I know when when we went to the PD, pediatrician with my son's eczema, they were like, oh, like, here's a recommendation for a dermatologist because he didn't know what to say. And the dermatologist then just gave us steroid ointment. That was it. That was it. And mind you, our son was like three months old. Like he wasn't even past the six months. And this, and I'll explain why this matters. But anyways, he was just truly an infant. And I was like, what is happening? You know? So it gave us, when I say us, like me and my husband, this really like aha moment, like, dang, okay, like I'm actually good at this. Like all the things that I do to myself, I feel like we all go through that, like, you know, I can I can do it on me, but can I do it on other people type of deal, right? Especially if you're someone that you're really passionate about something, um, doesn't even matter. Like maybe you're you're a fitness coach, or maybe you are a some sort of mentor for moms, or maybe you want to own your small business. I wholeheartedly am talking to you, especially to you. If you have that dream, like don't let go of it. And we're always where we're supposed to be. Okay, so anyways. Um, <laughs> the motivation in me, right? Um, so let's, let's get into it. First and foremost, what is eczema and why do humans of all ages get it? Okay. I will say that eczema is way more, um, dominant in infants and in young children than it is in adults, but adults can also, uh, develop it. And the reason being is really, it comes back to what is eczema. Eczema is simply, when the immune system is overly stimulated, a huge reason why it's common that eczema is linked to allergies, asthma, and food food allergies. So again, I'm gonna I'm gonna repeat that. It's literally simply when the immune system is overly stimulated, but this can be for numerous reasons. So if you were to look up eczema right now on Google, it'll tell you there's no known cause. Okay. Well, the cause would be because the immune system is overly stimulated. What's not known unless we understand our gut microbe and we understand epigenetics and we understand a few other things about our bodies. Well, then we could say, ah, okay, well, this happened. So I'm going to tell you the birth story of Ellie and why I truly believe that his birth story is truly the reason why A, he's a miracle baby, and two, because all the things, through all the things that have happened in his birth story, this is this is what he had. And it's a miracle that eczema was the only thing that was quote unquote wrong with him because there's literally nothing wrong about this child. It's just his immune system is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. So you should know, <laughs> you should know, um, from the time that, um, I knew I was pregnant, it was actually pretty late. Um, we found out when I was like eight to nine weeks pregnant. Um, and, um, 
And then by the time we got into the first OB, um, I was 12 weeks pregnant, which is kind of crazy to think. Uh, but that was the first time that I saw an OB because we were in Spain and Spain takes a long time apparently to get into an OB. And she told me, you know, like, don't eat deli meats, don't eat even uh, skin off of apples, cucumbers, you know, any of that, you know, don't do that. And I want to tell you, and this is a, a very uh, small side note, infertility in Spain is the one of the biggest chronic illnesses in all of Europe. Spain is number one. So Spain is number one in infertility in all of Europe. And this will be a whole nother episode, but just something to think about. So when I went to the OB, she was telling me not to eat a whole bunch of food, food, <laughs> whole bunch of food, whole bunch of fruit. <laughs> she was telling me not to eat a whole bunch of other types of foods where maybe in the U.S., maybe the only thing that, you know, the OB will tell you is maybe like, don't eat raw fish, <laughs> you know. Um, depends on your OB too, because I've also heard that like um, now the most recent thing that I've heard is OBs are telling moms now not to eat uh, uh, feta cheese and cheeses um, because they're not pasteurized. Well, that's illegal to do in the U.S. The FDA um, does not allow to sell to sell like in big marketplaces um, in like your grocery store. They're not allowed to sell raw uh, cheeses. Uh, you can get raw cheese from like your local farmer, things like that, but it's illegal to sell that. So I'm not sure um, where that disconnect is. But it, I promise all this, what I'm saying right now, has all, it comes back to the immune system overload and why eczema is very commonly linked to allergies, asthma, and food allergies, and really food sensitivities. So the more time that we uh, eliminate any foods uh, during any part of our lifetime, pregnant or not, um, we are actually risking um, our antibodies to stop developing. For every single type of food, meat, fruit, veggies, uh, anything, anything you name it, anything we intake, uh, we have to have antibodies and very special antibodies that actually churn on and off based on what we eat. And the more times that we practice that, the better our body becomes good at that, okay? Hopefully that made sense. So the more times, and this is why diverse eating is important, and this comes back to why we never eliminated uh, dairy or milk for my son, even if he had severe atopical eczema, is because this is what I knew to be true, is that he just doesn't have the antibodies, but I know that he will. And this is another thing that when you hear like, oh, like my son had eczema or like I had eczema when I was a little child and I grew out of it. What really happened is your body created more antibodies as time passed by. That's just normal. Okay. That is what your spot body is supposed to do. You are supposed to develop antibodies according to your environment, your uh, epigenetics, believe it or not, um, and epigenetics slash generational eating. So uh, uh, an, an example of this is if um, if you are of Asian descent, if you're of Asian descent and you are typically eating maybe um, some temp, maybe some tofu, maybe like the, the, the prebiotics that are really helpful for the gut, 
maybe you have um, an epigenetic code in there that actually is um, is going to absorb and better digest fermented foods and prebiotics than foods such as maybe like meat, like steak and chicken and things like that, right? So when when we're when we do that, when we look at that, that's why ethnicity matters. That's why it matters. Like if your culture eats specific type of food and then you go to move to another culture, or you go to move to another country or whatever, that could be also why there could be a difference in what happens to our bodies. Now, coming back to children, um, this can be the same exact thing, except they don't need, they don't, it doesn't require to move to a different country or a different culture. For them, it's as simple as in the womb, out the womb. It's as simple as that. That that can be an overload to the immune system, and their antibodies have not yet developed. Okay, and yes, this we will talk about like solid foods and how to introduce them and things like that too, because again, we're literally talking about my son and what what I did. Um, okay, so his birth story. We kind of went on a tangent there, but just follow me here. So his birth story. So we found out super late that we were pregnant, um, and then by the time we did, twelve weeks pregnant. First OB appointment was in Spain, all fine and dandy. Everything came out fine um, for finding out super late. So it was great. We came to the U.S. I was about four months pregnant at the time. Um, we did uh, move into an apartment at that time, like when we when we came directly from Spain to to the U.S. to Michigan. Uh, we actually did end up moving to a condo that had bed bugs, and then we had to move to another apartment. But that was super difficult because in America, no one is going to house you if you don't have the right to work, which that was a whole different thing, too, because my husband was supposed to have a right to work. And that wasn't happening. And I was a pregnant woman with like literally three jobs. It was crazy. The stress was wild. Just the per my personal life was just so difficult. And then, so that was that. <laughs> and then I was in labor for 39 hours, which is unheard of. It is not normal. Till this day, I don't understand why they let me go that long. Um, I did take a long time. So I was induced at 41 weeks and five days, um, which that itself is something. Um, I had Braxton Hicks contractions in like the whole month of December and then January came and there was no signs of labor. Um, and his due date was January 6th. Um, and we And he ended up being born January 15th. Uh, but I was in I was in labor for 39 hours, and it took a while to because I was induced. It took a while to start dilating. Um, I think it took over 12 hours to start dilating, and then I started dilating, and it just wasn't happening every hour like it should. Um, I barely got to five, and then when I got to six, I stopped dilating, and then I I had I developed a uh, a small low grade fever, and my OB. Um, which I tell everybody about. <laughs> if you ever have a conversation with me about births, about infants, newborns, anything like that, pregnancies, anything like that, I will tell you about this OB, <laughs> whether you live in Michigan or not. She is so good, okay? She came to, she was there for the whole thing. Um, and then she came back to the hospital um, when she heard that I got a fever. I don't know how this woman got here so fast. But anyways, she came back to the hospital and 
from the time that she came into the room saying that we're going to do a C-section to the time that my son was born was a whole 40 minutes, a whole 40 minutes. I was like, oh my God, (laughs) what is happening? (laughs) It was, it was crazy, but I'm so glad that it ended up like that. And I'm so glad that she was my OB because she truly saved the day. She truly like came in. She's like, no, like we're not doing this. This is no, that's it. You know, emergency C-section. So we ended up having a C-section, which also affects the gut microbe, which I will explain. And uh, what really could have happened, and again, I'm just being transparent. I'm being very real. Um, And this is why Ellie is our miracle baby, because he could have been born with neurological disorders. He could have been born with special needs. He could have been born with all sorts of a plethora of things. Because the birthing, the active labor was long. And after that, emergency C-section where I was developing an infection in my cervix. And this is why I say this. And I think I've already said it like five times. I'm going to say it again. Like The only thing that we knew was that he was fine. He didn't need antibiotics. He didn't need a single thing. The boy came out perfect somehow. Somehow. By the grace of God, luck, all the things. All the things. And we brought him home after like three days <laughs> because they also needed to check that he was okay. Because again, after you're in labor for that long and then you develop a, or, uh, an infection in your cervix, it's going, they're going to do a lot of tests. So they ended up doing so many tests and we were there for three more days. Um, we were there just just so everybody understands. I was induced on a Sunday. We didn't leave until Saturday. <laughs> so we were there for six days. It was insane. It was just insane. So we came home and maybe around like two months, we started noticing that um, he was developing, you know, these little patches, you know. Maybe it was before two months because I feel like two months we already knew. So like around like one month, to be very honest. So one month, um, we had realized that he was developing some patches um, and he was scratching himself and all that stuff. Okay. I'm going to say something. This might trigger you. So just like put the volume down or I don't know. But um, when when I knew that it was a problem that was past doctors it was past like going to go to a dermatologist was in this moment was when he was around two months old this is how i know that's why my brain did the math i was like "Mm," because at two months old we had already known and at around two months old i opened up the door he was he was waking up i heard him he was waking up in the morning and i opened up the door to to his room and he there was blood on the mattress and i just i froze i was like oh my god right and he was scratching so hard that his face was bleeding by three months um he had band-aids and two socks on his hands uh by six months still right all this stuff so I promise this has a a positive ending. I promise. (laughs) Okay, you can turn the volume up now. (laughs) Um, It was very, it was a very difficult time to see your son, your firstborn, um, after you had 
such a wild uh, pregnancy and then a wild labor. And now this, right, it can feel very, very defeating. Um, I also want to mention my birth or sorry, not my birth, my breastfeeding story. Breastfeeding to me was one of the most, one of the most wow things that any human can do. Okay. In general, like a woman can literally develop and make an entire human and then also make the food for that said human. It is just mind-blowing to me. The hormonal functions that happen to it. Oh my God. And I was so, so excited. Like one of the first things that that when we found out that I was pregnant, one of the first things I was like, oh my God, I cannot wait to breastfeed. Like I cannot wait to breastfeed. And I wanted at least to breastfeed at least for six months, if not a year. But it was just not in the cards. And here's what happened with this breastfeeding story. Because a lot of people, okay, and I'm I'm telling you the story because a lot of people are like, well, at least you have breast milk. Like, we didn't have that. We didn't even have that. Okay, so what happened? After he was born, um, he did um, he did get colostrum, which thank God that was that was also a huge thing because some some women after you have a C section, sometimes uh, that comes a little bit difficult. But for me, that came like right away. Thank God. Um, so he he had colostrum, which is a huge gut microbe development boost. Okay, so he had that, and um, I had a hard time breastfeeding because he was eating a lot. My son was eating a lot, and I was not producing. And I pumped, and I still was not producing. So when I was breastfeeding and pumping, and I would be like forty minutes truly with the pump. And maybe, maybe like two milliliters would come out. I'm like, oh my gosh, like what is happening? Well, after a month, um, and this is where things become kind of like, huh, okay, is after a month, um, I started having insane sweats, shaking, paralysis in my back and my arms while breastfeeding. And this was very frightening because many times uh, I was alone in the house trying to feed my son. By the time two months came, around the same time that we saw like blood on on the on the mattress from him scratching so much on his face, um, that was around the same time that I told my husband something is happening to me, and I'm not sure what, but I don't feel very good every single time Ellie breastfeed. Like I just, I can't, there's something that happens that like my arms go numb, my shoulders get numb. I can't hold myself up. Something is happening. So he actually took off. Um, so he took off two weeks. My husband took off two weeks and then he went back to work. Um, and then he actually took off another two weeks when, um, two months postpartum because of this. And what we ended up doing this is how bad this was. To this day, I have no idea what what happened. I have no idea. And the same thing happened with uh, with our daughter as well. But with our daughter, I didn't push. And I will tell you that in a second too. So what would happen as I'm breastfeeding is my my husband would literally sit behind me. Okay, so imagine like we're sitting on a sofa, and I would sit at the edge of the sofa or the front of the sofa, and my husband would be behind me. Okay, sitting behind me, right? 
And then he would hold my back up and we would get like one to two pillows to where I didn't have to hold Ellie and I would have to sit myself up so then he would like reach to my breast so then he could feed, right? And he would have to hold me up while the pillow was holding Ellie and I was shaking. I was shaking, like shaking, shaking, tremors, uh, I was sweating, the whole thing. That was at two months. By three months, I had developed mastitis, which is the infection of the ducts that produce the milk. I don't wish this on my worst enemy. <laughs> if you have ever had mastitis, you know what I'm talking about. Oh my dear Lord, it felt like I was decaying from the inside out. Even talking about it right now, I feel like I just feel so like, huh, like it just, it was such a bad thing. So bad. Okay. I ended up doing the cabbage, the cabbage um, and the lettuce leaves. I ended up doing that. And then a lot of cold compressions. That's what I did because I was also given antibiotics for that. And I was like, dude, that's not going to help this situation at all. So while all that was going on with me, here's what was going on with Ellie. So Ellie was developing more and more severe eczema. Uh, we were going to the pediatrician. The pediatrician handed us to the dermatologist. The dermatologist gave us steroid cream. Cool. I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that. And um, what we did was uh, we really didn't do much. <laughs> That's the thing. So... I'm going to go, I'm going to come back to, to this thing of what we did do. So number one, we never stopped giving him breast milk. And after three months after I developed mastitis, I was like, we need to stop. And my husband was actually the one that was like, you know, like, you don't have to do this. Like, you don't have to do this. I know you want to do this, but you don't have to do this. And, um, and I was like, yeah, but I want to, I want to, I want to breastfeed. I mean, like breast milk is like, literally liquid gold like how how am I not the one that can't do this for him like ah uh, like it was a big big heartbreak for me it was a big like ah uh, it just didn't feel good so it took mastitis for me to be like okay we're done <laughs> um and again, my husband just, you know, here supporting me, but he's also like, come on, man, like, I can't be doing this. You know, I can't be taking off two weeks of work to like help you feed Ellie. Like, this is not okay, you know? And so I was like, you know what, we're, we're, we're not going to, we're just going to continue breastfeeding. I'm going to pump and, uh, and then we need to order formula and we ordered formula and the formula that we gave both of our kids was HIP, um, H-I-P-P. It is, um, it's based out of, uh, Germany, but they also have, um, they also have the company, um, all over Europe, but it's based out of Germany and you can also, um, order it from UK. And so that's what we did by like two and a half months. Um, Ellie was half breast milk and half formula. Um, the reason why I will never, ever buy any formula in the U S is because it is insane with ingredients again. Another thing I, I will never understand about America is why that is. Like, why do you need so much crap in formula? Unnecessary. So anyway, so that's what we did. Um, so we never eliminated that. Even when he was scratching to the point that he was bleeding, 
I still didn't do that. Again, uh, keep, just keep in mind that I'm going to explain why this is. Uh, we did not bathe him excessively. This is a huge, huge part about healing eczema sustainably um, without also inducing food sensitivities, allergies, or asthma. Everything that I'm saying in this episode is to heal sustainably. And that's what healing sustainably means is that like you do something and then like you're healed from it. Like you don't have another problem. Okay. So we didn't bathe him excessively. So we only bathed him one to two weeks and we bathed him with a, um, with like a wash, like a bath wash thing. It was called Aquanil. Um, it's actually available on Amazon. Um, I think it's at like your local CVS, um, things like that. So normal things each night we would put on, um, and, and I, sh- I also want to mention that after bath, we dabbed him dry, um, especially in like his joints, but then everywhere else we let him air dry. So what we would do, <laughs> I love talking about this because it's like one of my, like, I don't know, favorite memories, you know, like when you think about your kids and you're like, Oh my God. Oh yeah. Oh, right. And you get like so excited. Right. This is one of them. He'd get out of the bath. <laughs> We'd put on the diaper on him real quick. This boy used to love to pee on me. <laughs> so we'd have to put on the diaper right away. And uh, and then we would let him uh, just hang out like on the bed. Like we'd literally just hang out on the bed. And we would like either play with him or read him something. Um, sometimes he was hungry after bath. So then we would do maybe like a small bottle before bed um, of formula, right? And so it was just a good time. It was just a good time because it was almost like, like, I don't know. He was just so happy, like being naked. He was just so happy. And he was like, oh, and that was like when he also found like his hands and his belly button and his stomach. And, you know, it it was so fun. It was such a fun time for us. Anyway, so we dabbed dry and then the rest was air dry. Um, And then once that, once his whole body was air dried, then we'd use either olive oil, sheep milk lotion or magnesium lotion all over his body, um, including his face um, and skull and scalp, by the way, too, um, because he was everywhere. It was everywhere, like his face, his scalp, his arms, his legs, his stomach, his back, everywhere. Um, and so that's what we do. And so we would kind of like take churns, if you will, um, on um, like one night we'd do olive oil, one night we'd do sheep milk, lo- sheep milk lotion, uh, one day, one night we would do magnesium lotion. Um, we did magnesium lotion. So we all understand we did magnesium lotion because typically when we are seeing, um, eczema reactions, um, there's the, the, uh, let me back up real quickly. Magnesium takes two years for, for the re-up, if you will, for the amount of magnesium that we need to actually have, a healthy development, a healthy mental uh, status quo, a healthy um, just for mind, for body, uh, for functionality of like muscles, um, things like that. It takes two years. So your baby doesn't even have the amount of magnesium that is needed until they are two years old. And when we have eczema that actually is also delayed. So magnesium lotion is to help his body say, hey, like this is something that you need. So like, let me help you because it wasn't going to do it. Like it, it was very, very low. Clearly 
And that's the also the correlation of why we did magnesium lotion. So no, it was not for sleep because he was a great sleeper. Um, I actually just got off a client call and we were actually talking about this. She's also pregnant. She's doing May. I'm so excited. Um, and I was actually talking to her about this that like, I don't want to sound, you know, I don't know, like, like rude or I don't know. I don't even know what this is going to sound like, but like, I think I was just giving good babies. Like they just slept through the night including Ellie, even if he had eczema and everything, he was like, he was a happy, happy, smart, curious baby, you know, and he slept really good, you know, it was just the fact that like this eczema was just, it was itching him. It was really hard for him to just kind of like, like sit without itching, you know, and obviously, you know, eczema is just a, an immune overload. So we need to help that little body, right? So that was the second thing um, that we did. And then this is another thing. So I hope you have your notes out. So the first one um, was that we never eliminated breast milk formula, nothing like that. Um, we didn't bathe him excessively one to two times a week, dabbed him dry and then air dried. Um, the rest uh, used olive oil, sheep milk lotion, magnesium lotion, um, and then also support uh, uh, lymphatic system by massaging him nightly. Okay. Um, that was the other thing about that. And then the third thing is uh, we didn't let just any material be on him. Um, so that fuzzy cotton, I think it's called like chenille or something like that. Um, you know, like, you know, that fuzzy cotton, you know what I'm talking about. That is going to dry his skin even more. So that's something that we were like, we had so many amazing outfits from people that we love and he never wore that because that was that big fuzzy cotton. And I think that's another thing about when you have when you have a kid, when you have a baby that has eczema, it's like oh, like you feel like there's some certain things that you can and can't do. If I were to tell you to not do anything, like out of all the things, this would be it. Is do not have that fuzzy cotton on their skin. Instead, like, and when I say on their skin, like, I'm talking coats, pajamas, uh, uh, blankets, uh, toys, right? The fuzzy toys. Get that out. Get that out until their skin is just better, okay? Use 100% cotton, silk, satin, fabrics of that nature, okay? Um... Uh, the fourth thing that that we did is we let him cluster feed. We let him sleep when he slept. Uh, he woke up when he woke up. Like, we just let him be. We let him be. And he was, like I said, he was a very, very curious, active, really just, just a baby, just a normal baby. You know, a baby being a baby, right? And we didn't let that stop any of the things that we were doing. And then the fifth thing is sunlight and outside. And I say this like outside, outside, outside. Give the skin that natural light. Give the skin the sunlight. Give the, his brain and the nervous system the colors and the sounds and the relaxation of the outside. Even if you, even if you don't live near a park or anything, because we lived, we didn't live by a park at that time. We lived in an apartment, a very in a, a really small apartment at the time. And um, yeah, there was no park. There was nowhere. But we just walked around the subdivision. Um, and this boy till this day, 
loves the outside. And I'm I'm convinced it's because of this, because we just spent so much time outside daily, daily outside, sometimes for 15 minutes, sometimes for 30, sometimes for two hours. Sometimes he napped outside. Sometimes we just spent the whole entire day outside, literally all day. Like I like I would do. Um, there was a few times uh, where we were just like, OK, where are we going to go today? And then we went from like one park to another, to another, to another. I packed all the things that he needed for like a whole day. And we would come back in time for like dinner and bedtime. It was one of my favorite memories. Again, like when you think about your kids, you know, think about that. Okay. So why didn't I ever eliminate uh, breast milk, formula, all this stuff? It has to do with the three stages of gut development. And this is coming back to building antibodies, right? So all, all babies have three stages of development. The first development is called developmental phase. It's from three months to 14 months of age. That's the first one. The second is transitional phase, which is from 15 to 30 months of age. And then the stable phase is 31 to 46 months of age. Okay, we heard that, right? Where it's not just their first year, it's not just their second year, <laughs> right? Almost pretty much by the time that they're three years old, that's when there's the stable phase. And it's very, very important. It comes back to what I said at the beginning of, of this episode, that I know as a fact that my first three, three years of my life, that's what, that's what caused a lot of the symptoms that I have now. And yeah, nobody that like, nobody that was around me was a gut health practitioner or nutritionist or anything like that. They just gave me whatever food was there, right? I'm not even sure if I had milk my first two years. I don't know. We don't know. Um, but this, the, this is the thing that we need to understand. On the same token, uh, bet between that developmental phase, so between three and 14 months of age, um, a lot of things happen developmentally, right? Brain-wise and all that stuff. Now, without getting like too deep and all that stuff, the way that you... The, the things that if, that affect the gut microbe and the gut development is also the same thing that's going to affect the brain development, okay? This is why I say coming back, your first three years of your life are very, very important developmentally, okay? And because the gut and the brain are directly correlated and you are we're already slowly developing the gut microbe when we're in the womb, it matters how you are born, so your mode of delivery, so whether you were born a C-section or vaginally, there is a difference in your gut microbe. Uh, not to say that will that will be forever, uh, but it does affect uh, the immune system. Again, coming back to what is eczema, it's an immune system response. It's when there's an overload in the immune system. Breastfeeding versus formula feeding. This matters. This is going to change the gut microbe. Antibiotic use and introduction of solid foods. This also is one of the main factors uh, of gut development in the gut microbe. Okay, Environmental exposures can also play a key role in this variable, vari vari if I can speak, can also play a key role in this variability of 
the micro microbiome. So pretty much we got to make sure that we're taking care of our bodies. Prenatal, postnatal, we have to make sure that the environment is good, that it's calm and happy. We have to make sure that we're okay. We have to make sure that we are giving our children a diverse diet. We have to make sure that we understand that, just like in my story, that breastfeeding is helpful, but also like coming back to this, I have to be okay because he also has to eat, right? The antibiotic use, right? Which is crazy. And that's another thing. Um, antibiotics are being given like candy, right? And that was, again, when I when I say the his birth story, that's why it was miraculous he did not need antibiotics. Miraculous. Like, that OB saw the cervix infection from like five miles away. <laughs> because that also could have been a major game changer. And he didn't. He was good. But it was because it was a really stressful pregnancy. It was a really stressful labor, right? And so that happened. So I did not give Ellie a single solid until he was around six months old because of this. In a child that does not have eczema, in a child that is born healthy, um, no autoimmune, no chronic illnesses, um, nothing crazy happens. They're just born healthy. And, you know, you go home the next day, right? Or maybe even the same day, right? Wh whatever. Or you give birth at home and everything is fine, right? And the baby's latching on and everything is great. What typically happens is, um, especially in more developed countries, um, people are, are feeding their kids solid food earlier and earlier and earlier, okay? And this is not ideal. One, because of the gut microbe stage that it is on. Um, so again, talking about the developmental stages, we don't have yet the antibodies that are developed. So we are essentially giving a child's body something that is simply not ready for. And there's nothing that we are able to do about it. It doesn't mean because you give your kid solid food earlier, now that like he's going to like, I don't know, be more intelligent or he's not going to get sick or like, I don't know. No, because it's the cycle of a natural human body. And that's where I like, we need to stop messing around with naturals, with, with a natural cycle of our body. We need to stop doing that. Have some, have patience, give yourself grace, give, give your, your, your baby's body some grace to be able to have that time to be able to produce the antibodies that is needed. Okay, fruits and veggies. Let's talk about this real quick. Fruits and veggies, please, 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 please introduce veggies first 
then fruits, whatever veggie you like. If you want to do carrots, if you want to do squash, if you want to do any veggie of your desire, go for it. Then fruits. The taste palate is also developing in the same phases as the gut. Okay? And when you give your baby fruit first, well, fruits are sweet, right? And if you want your baby to have at least the push of eating a healthy diet, because again, after one year's old, Sometimes, you know, then the personality, sometimes environment, sometimes whatever, right? Like babies after one, they are really intelligent. I mean, they're intelligent from from the womb, they're intelligent. But after one years old, they have this way of like, no, I don't want to eat that. No, I want to eat that. So by introducing veggies first as a solid, that will help after six months. Okay. This is in normal. This is a normal child that does not have a chronic illness, doesn't have eczema, doesn't have nothing. In a child that has eczema especially, you're going to do this like after six months, maybe even seven, eight, maybe even nine months. Depending on the child, depending on on how the child is doing with the eczema, depending on how they're sleeping, how are they developing, uh, are they are they going outside, are they sleeping, are they having bowel movements that are not constipated because constipation and eczema also have a high correlation. So you need to be aware of that. Don't think you're behind. Don't think your child is behind because your child is not eating solids by one years old, okay? Ellie was not eating a full diet until he was a year, I want to say a year and a half, but I recently talked to my husband about it and he said, no, it was actually closer to like a year and nine months, which was, I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Time went by that fast, okay. (laughs) You know, but that is my recommendation. Knowing what I know, and this is what I studied, that would be your best route. If you want to give your child even a shot on building some healthy habits, make sure you're also understanding that there's a taste palette that is also being developed. And if they taste the beautiful uh, veggies first and then the sweets of the fruit, we're giving them a little bit of an upper hand. Okay. With antibodies, fruit, veggies, uh, grains like rices and oats um, and seeds and things like that. So maybe uh, maybe you're feeding your child rice, um, you know, all that stuff. Those don't require um, that much time for antibodies to be developed as uh, meat and dairy, um, you know, all dairy like yogurts and all that, um, eggs, things of that nature. So it doesn't require that much time. So typically we'd want to do like grains first and then veggies second and then fruits third. Okay. And maybe what this, now this is what I did with Ellie. So that's the order that we did things in. Okay. For both of my kids, I chose spinach. I boiled it and then I put it in the, in the mixer 
And that was it. That was it. And my our daughter, <laughs> she actually loved it so much she drank it out of her bottle. <laughs> so I had a lot more water in there. Uh, but yeah, that's how she had it. But that was that. Again, we're talking and my daughter did not have eczema. Um, I think this was at like 10 months for my daughter. Um, so again, slowly introduce solid foods. Okay. Um, I'm going to talk about real quickly, um, like why there's a crucial part on, um, introducing foods. Okay. Um, so with Ellie, again, this is about Ellie, this is about our son. Um, we slowly introduced all the foods. And when I say slowly, I want you to think about it like this right? When you introduce any new food, give it small doses and first increase the days, not the amount. So I hope that made sense. So when you're introducing any new food to the baby, even to children, okay, even to children, give it in small doses and first increase the days, not the amount. A lot of people say like, oh, like they had, I don't know, um, they had steak for the first time, right? And they're, I don't know, like six, seven months. Okay. I am not saying you are a terrible parent. I'm not saying anything of this nature. Okay. We all do what we can with the knowledge that we have. Okay. But let's just say this is, this is your, this is what happened, right? Your child had meat, um, at pretty, at a pretty young age. Fine. Small doses, and increase first the days, not the amount. So let's say you gave like two little slithers of meat. Give that same amount for days. Don't increase the amount that you're giving. And then three weeks later, you know, you're giving like a lot of meat at that time, right? Just as an example, okay? Meat was the first thing that came to my mind because meat is something that uh, requires a little bit more antibodies and specific antibodies. Okay, so hopefully that makes sense. Best time to introduce new foods is in the a.m., okay? I'm gonna tell you why in a second why this is the best time to introduce um, new foods in the a.m. Um, also, introduce foods solo, Okay. I say this wholeheartedly. Stop mixing a known food with a new food. I know, like, psychologically, because, hello, I'm a mom too, we want to give our kid that, like, oh, like, you know this food, try this food. However, their brain doesn't see it like that. Their brain does not think chronic, I don't even want to say if it's chronological, but, like, they don't think like that. They don't see the world like that, right? So the body, the body needs to develop these antibodies for every single food, right? If we are giving it a food that it already knows with a new food, you're not really giving it this grace time period, if you will, for the, for, for the body to focus on that one new food intro. Hopefully that made sense, okay? So what we want to do is when so number one, right, you're going to do, introduce at small doses, but increase the days, not the amount, and then introduce it with like that one food solo, right? Okay. Now, the two reasons why um, I, you should totally do new foods in the morning um, is actually kind of uh, interesting here. So if a child is having a reaction, your, your pediatrician's office is open. 
And I'm going to tell you a story about it, what happened with us with Ellie and eggs. Um, this is important because they will have the history of the child. Uh, they'll know what vaccines or what, what anything was done with the child. They will know what tests have been done. And, then, and that's really important. When we're talking about like reactions, when we're talking about, you know, new food, we always worry that maybe they go into anaphylactic shock. We're worried about all these things. And sometimes the emergency room or the urgent, urgent care is not the best. Um, it's not the best simply because they're not pediatricians, okay, A, sometimes they don't even have what's needed uh, to help an infant, okay, if that is happening. So definitely just do it in the morning. Your peds is there and you can call them and then they can take you somewhere. They can lead you to somewhere that can help you a little bit better. And then second, this is when the gut microbe of our infants are actually the most pure, okay? They've slept or they've tried to. <laughs> um, they're typically more alert in the AM. Um, and this is a direct mirror of the body's natural cycles, especially the cortisol and blood sugar levels. So this is going to be optimal for their digestion and absorption. Again, we are literally coming back to the natural cycles. All right, so I want to tell you this, this story about Ellie. So when Ellie had boiled eggs for the first time, he had, and I only gave him like half of a boiled egg, he got this like really big red circle around his lips. And I was really afraid. And again, because it was in the morning, I called off work from both jobs. At the time, I was working an office job, and then I was working as a gymnastics coach. So I called off from both jobs, and I took off the whole day. And I took him to see our peds and our peds. Um, he's, he's a man, if you have not, because um, I'm like, he, he, he. I'm talking about our peds doctor. Um, a phenomenal man, may I add. Um, he made sure he just wasn't showing signs of like disassociation, um, responding to everything. You know, just make sure that he's okay because he wasn't breathing difficult. He wasn't, it was just red around his lips. Well, it turns out that that was an eczema response. So now the question most people ask is, okay, like, did you proceed to give him eggs? Did you take eggs out completely until he was like, you know, two? Like, what, like, did you wait months to introduce it again? What'd you do? Well, here's what we did. We gave his body a full 24 hours to see what his bowel movements look like. Typically, again, when we have eczema, we're going to have heavy constipation. He had great bowel movements after. He had a great day after that. It was actually only red for a couple of hours. But again, you know, new mom and, you know, you've already seen the things that are happening with your son. You're like, oh, my God, like, what is this? Right. And I've introduced all these other foods, too. So like all the grains, all the veggies, all the fruits. And I was like, cool. The next one would be eggs. Right. And mind you, it was just half an egg. So I was like, OK. So it was good. It was good to see that his bowel movements were, were okay. They were normal. He slept fine. He ate fine the rest of the day. He played literally fine. Everything was okay. And then the following day, so really 48 hours later, we monitored his skin. I wanted to see what his skin was going to do. So we now took two days just monitoring him monitoring his skin, seeing what his skin looked like. Like after the doctor told me it was okay, I looked at his skin. I was like, okay, this is what it looks like. I even took pictures. And then 48 hours later, I looked at it again and I was like, oh, okay. It was a bit more patchy, 
But that's normal. That's normal. That's to be expected. And then the third day, so I let it be for 48 hours. And on the third day, oh, and I also want to say making sure again that his ball movements were okay. And he was doing great with that. And the third day, we actually tried again. And you know what happened? No reaction. He was fine. So coming back to small doses over more days, we continued giving Ellie half the boiled egg, right? Like, again, it was just half a boiled egg. Like, oh my God, right? But that just goes to show you that the antibodies, it's they, we need to give them time. And I don't think I gave Ellie eggs too early. I don't. I just think that that's what the body needed a little bit of a grace period, if you will, to be like, oh, this food? Oh, okay, yeah. Like, it was like what I imagine, <laughs> what I imagine in my little brain over here is I imagine happening that the antibodies are like, oh, you're giving me this? Okay, cool. Let me go grab my, my other buddies, you know? And like, that's what I feel like happens, especially in infants. Um, and so what we did um, for four weeks daily was we gave him half a boiled egg for like solo. And what we would do, he would wake up in the morning, he would have his milk, which was formerly at the time. And about 45 minutes later, he would eat the egg as a little snack. And then maybe about an hour, hour and a half-ish, after that, he would eat his rice with one veggie. That was at the stage that he was at. He was eating rice with one veggie. So you can imagine... Also, too, with the with the rice and the veggie that took the one the one veggie, and I'm like pretty sure it was carrots because he really liked carrots. Uh, but just that one veggie, also, we took about a month of like the same food. And yeah, yeah, they get bored of the same food. Yes, they do. Yes. But like, it's okay. They're gonna survive. I promise. I promise. They're gonna survive. Right? If they're still hungry. And they're like, okay, well, like, that's all the veggies I got. Give them milk. Give them formula. Because I really don't, I like, I don't believe in, like, keeping a kid hungry. Like, I just don't. <laughs> right? So, yeah. So, after a month-ish, um, he had eggs with another food. So, it was a little over a month. He had it with another food. And then after another month, we increased it to one whole egg. Not daily, but it typically went with what we ate, too. So again, we spread this new intro to eggs for two months. Not all foods need to be this long spread out. Again, coming back to this, right? The grains, the fruits, and the veggies, they require they require antibodies that are just not that specific in that some of them were born with, some of them we develop within time. So it shouldn't be a problem for most babies. But again, foods such as meats, eggs, cheeses, whole milk, they require specific antibodies that simply take a longer time to develop. That's it. Okay. I know that I just talked about eggs, but I also want to talk about milk. From the get-go, I said we never took out breast milk or formula. And we also never took out cow's milk, ever. So Ellie was slowly starting to be introduced to cow milk at 12 months old, okay? And by that, I mean like he had one fluid ounce of cow milk with the rest formula for like three months. That slow. 
And that's the thing. We think we're being slow on introducing, but be a little bit slower with it. And again, it's literally about, it's coming back to the basics. It's literally giving his body the grace time and just the time that like, oh, okay, this is what I need to do. Give it time. I'm going to talk about milk. <laughs> I'm going to talk about milk and it's going to come with a little bit of spice, okay? Um, I know that most people are told to take out milk when their kids have eczema. I am begging you. I will go on both knees and beg you to not do that. I know that there is bacteria and that with eczema, we can flare up the eczema. Yeah, I flared up my son's eczema with giving him half an egg. He's fine. He's fine. It was difficult for like maybe a few hours. Okay. Took him to the pediatrician. He was okay. He was not having a shock. He was not no nothing. Okay. It was a reaction. It was a normal immune system reaction. Okay. It's been previously said that humans drinking animal milk had evolved as a as an intolerance right? So that like as if we actually were not meant to drink it, right? We're not meant to drink milk. And this is where I think a lot of the mist, it's just simply misused information. It's not necessarily incorrect or false, but it's, it's misused, okay? And the reason I'm talking about it here is because a lot of kids, because they had eczema or because they have asthma or they have food allergies, they never, they never simply took a breathalyzer test that tests the hydrogen levels, and that is that, and that will also give you a positive or negative if you're lactose intolerant. And that is so different between lactose male digestion. Majority of the world's population has lactose male digestion, not lactose intolerance. Lactose intolerance is in the body, it happens slightly different versus lactose male digestion. But there are people and situations and environmental factors that definitely can bring on lactose intolerance. However, lactose intolerance is typically uh, um, is typically with all lactose, not just with like just with ice cream or just with milk or right. And this is another thing, again, that, again, I'm going to come off spicy, but like we, we need to understand this. I'm having these conversations lately with so many people and I'm like, putting my foot down because we, we need to stop. We need to stop. If you are taking milk out of your child's diet, they're actually missing a very essential vitamins and fats for their brain development. I'm going to repeat this again. If you take out milk, they are actually missing out on important vitamins and fats for their brain development. The amount of fat that is in whole milk is actually the most ideal fat that you can give your child for them to develop properly. When I say develop properly, I mean like language, uh, eyesight, uh, 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 response time, and and um, ver like how, how like the fact that they verbalize, 
This affects this. And yet here we are, we're telling a whole, a whole generation of parents because their children had eczema because of, as in my situation, it was a stressful pregnancy and then a stressful labor, right? Because of society, <laughs> really, at the end of the day, it was because of society, right? And they shouldn't have even let me be in labor for that long, but it is what it is, you know, God's plan, right? And that's what happened. And yet here we are, we have a whole generation that like, oh no, nope, I stopped giving my kid dairy at like, I don't know, seven months old, six months old, eight months old, one year old, because our eczema wasn't going away. My son's eczema at one and a half years old, it was noticeably going away, but it wasn't going, it wasn't gone. By two years old, by two years old, 24 months, that's when my son's skin was cleared up. Until this day, he's been fine. He does not have allergies. He does not have asthma. He has no food sensitivities. He eats everything. He's like the least pickiest eater on this planet. <laughs> and I really think it's because of this. And I said at the beginning of this episode, our son gave us this aha moment that I let this little human that didn't know how to verbalize, that didn't speak to me, that didn't tell me how his day was. He didn't, he didn't do that. But together, I understood his body. He was, again, he was just being curious and attentive and and he he just was development developing correctly and on time. And it was just in my heart and in my soul that like if I could do this, then I can help anyone. I can help anyone. If I can help my own baby, and knowing what I know about my my body, I can do this. I can do this. Your children are meant to have milk. They are meant to have fat in their diet. It is required until two years old for them to have actually a certain amount of body fat if you want a proper development. That's why I don't have a proper development. I've had issues with speech. I've had, I've had is issues with memory. I've had issues with so many things my entire life because of that. There's a study where the researchers analyzed thousands of animal fat residues found on over 13,000 fragments of pottery from 554 archaeological sites across Europe. So 554 sites across Europe. Microscopic traces of milk on the pottery shards suggest that human consumption of milk was in fact high in the Neolithic Europe from around 7,000 B.C., Genetic evidence from prehistoric European and Asian people show that the gene that codes for the production of lactase was not common until around 1000 BC. So nearly 4,000 years after it was first detected, around 4,700 BC. So why were humans drinking it if technically they were quote-unquote lactose intolerant? And here's why. Because milk was very necessary in a diet. And if you really want to talk about epigenetics, 
if we if we continue to take out any animal, because I'm not just talking about cow, because cow does have, again, that antibody reaction is a little bit stronger versus the other milks, but we still have sheep milk, goat milk, bull's milk, which by the way is really good, uh, camel milk. We have a whole bunch that the antibody reaction is not that strong. And the lactase in it is not as much as cow's milk, right? So milk for forever has been a baseline of any food dating back to BC years. It just has been. Sheep and goat's milk also have helped babies grow and develop when formula wasn't even invented. Yet somehow we're like, oh my gosh, like formula is the best thing ever. And again, I'm talking about me, like me, who I was forced to give formula to my child. No, I didn't give him sheep's or goat milk. No, I didn't. But I did slowly introduce cow's milk, eczema and all. And this is what it all boils down to. Before I say what I'm about to say, you know that I did formula, right? You heard my breastfeeding story. I, was, I absolutely loved breastfeeding. But it was something that I truly... It just truly was not meant to be. It just, I, my body just couldn't do it for whatever reason. But had I lived in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and if I was middle class or poor in US, Europe, or Asia, I couldn't have even afforded formula. I want to tell you guys real quickly, my mother-in-law, who's 67, by the way, fed her kids tea and sheep's milk. That's what she fed her two kids in infancy. And if anybody's wondering, my husband is very tall. <laughs> and same with my sister-in-law. They're very tall. They develop correctly. No food allergies. No asthma. No, um, no allergies. No seasonal allergies. No nothing like that. They're fine. And I can give you a bunch of examples of this. Animal milk is not the enemy. You really just need to come back to the basics. Diverse diet, rest, outside time, play, giving their bodies grace. Out of this entire thing, out of this entire episode, that was what was repeated. That's what I did to my son. That's all. I didn't do anything fancy. I didn't do any, like, I don't know, I didn't give him, like, herbal baths. I didn't give him anything, you know, like that. I was, I was, we were a struggling family. We were a struggling family when, when our son was born. And so, also, don't think that you need to do, like, expensive stuff or you need to buy, like, organic. That's another episode within itself. Just stick to the basics. The body knows exactly what it's doing. <sighs> Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, if you made it this far to the episode, uh, please check the show notes. Uh, there are a few links, uh, including the link to this study that I was talking about uh, just now. And there's also a link to uh, the Elite in the Basics, Non-Negotiables for Gut Health Care. 
This entire checklist can absolutely 1000% work for your entire family. This is not just for you. Um, it is for literally for your entire family. This works for anybody at any single age. And that's the beauty of it. And, you know, that is really what I enjoy doing is serving families, not just the person that I get to work with, but I get to help the families because when when you and I work together, you get to show and share this information and you get to use it really with your family, with your kids, with your husband, with your loved ones, and then they also pass down this information. That's the beauty and that's the beauty of this episode. If you loved it, please give it a share, tag me in it, share it in Instagram stories, and I would love to hear your thoughts. Uh, till then, uh, I will see you guys on the next episode. Until then, rest but don't quit.